Convenient. Uh, what do you know? Um, I just got to say that those of you who are already like in Christmas mode, this weather's on you, okay? I just need you to be aware of that. Those of you who are like, Halloween's over, it's on to Christmas time. You're the reason we had snow this morning, okay? Like, just, just going to be where I talked to God. He informed me that's the situation. I'm just kidding. Uh, we love you anyways. It's all good. Uh, but I'm curious, have you ever um, found yourself in a bind, in a situation, because of something you said? That perhaps you told a little white lie, or you told a half-truth, or maybe it was just a blatant, full-out lie. You ever been there before? And then you're faced with that decision, I can either double down and just put all my chips in and go with it, or I can come clean. You know what I'm saying? Um, You know, younger Eric had this habit of when he would get caught in a situation, he would decide to just double down on things. Just might as well, we're already in, let's just jump all off into the deep end and see what happens. Um, One time in particular, I remember, I just started driving, and there was a rule in our home that when you arrived at your destination, what you needed to do was to give mom a call. Makes sense, make sure you're safe, all that type of stuff. And I was already on thin ice because I had forgotten to call a couple times already, and this time I got to my friend's house, I got out of my car, threw my keys in my phone in my pocket, went in, just went about my time. And about two hours later, my phone starts to buzz, And so I pull it out of my pocket, and I see my mom's calling. So I flip it open. Yeah, I mean, phones used to flip. You know, they were super cool back then. And I flip it open. I was like, hey, mom, what's going on? And she just kind of says, well, uh, you forget to do something. To which I then proceeded to say, well, yeah, see, here's the deal. I I got here, and uh, when, when I got my phone out to call you, I realized that there wasn't any cell service to make a phone call. And then it was like, oh, wait, wait, as I'm talking on the cell phone. You see, <laughs> you ever been there before in a situation where you wish you could either go back in time, get a little redo, or perhaps not double down? My guess is you've done something similar. Maybe it's with a spouse, a child, a coworker, a friend. But I think we all can say, or we can all admit, this is a safe place, that our big fat mouths have gotten us into trouble from time to time. And as we continue in our teaching series through the book of James, we're going to zero in on chapters 3 and 4 this morning, and James is going to take, take our attention to a universal problem that we all have, or universal perhaps difficulty, I should say, and it's taming our tongues. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me uh, to the book of James. It's found in the back of your Bible. You could start all the way on the right, Revelation, go to the left. If you're taking notes, you can uh, grab those note sheets out. Uh, you can always grab note sheets on the app or where you pick up communion, follow along. Those note sheets, uh, also something for you to know, is they have some study content to help you go deeper throughout the week. Some of you, you have groups, and uh, your groups go through that as well, too. Here's let me uh, start here, though, this morning, is if I asked you, What has caused the most harm to the Christian faith throughout all of history? What would you say? Think about that for a moment. Just like, what has made it the most difficult for Christians to to serve their purpose, to to share the gospel, to, to push forward the mission of the big C church? Like, all Christians, not just first Christian church, not just you as a Christian, generally speaking. See, when I think about this, I think one thing comes to mind first and foremost. It's that the misuse of the words and tongues by Christians. I think it's made it so difficult for people to trust Christians, to like Christians, to want to listen to anything else that we as disciples have to say because of the misuse of our tongues. Sometimes Christians can be a little bit 
well, overly harsh or judgmental with their words instead of kind and loving. Some Christians mistreat others or hide behind prejudice by saying, well, the Bible says or something like that, and they come up with a way. But I'm convinced that the unwise words, more than anything else, have made it that much more difficult for us to push forward our mission in life. It's interesting, though, because the Bible is chock full of things to be aware of when it comes to our words. Things that are exhortations. Be careful of what you say all the way to you need to use wise, good words. I think it's because of this. It's that our words say a lot about us. Do they not? Jesus even is recorded in saying that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The ancient proverb in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8, says the wise in heart accepts commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. What we say says a lot about us, doesn't it? Now, I'm not a huge uh, traveling person, especially like going to airports and whatnot, because it's just like a string of lines you've got to wait in. You get in traffic, and then you got to wait in line to get off out of your car, to wait in line to check in your bags, to wait in another line to make sure you don't have anything dangerous, to go wait on a line to get into the airplane. And then once you're in the airplane, you got to wait another line until you get... It's just like a series of lines. It's almost more stressful and taxing before you actually get to your destination. But there is one thing that I do really, really enjoy about uh, traveling. And if I could just come clean here for a moment, I just need to get this off my chest... It's, it's eavesdropping. Because you'd be surprised how many people have zero understanding of like, oh, I'm just traveling by myself. Surely no one's listening to this phone call or me and my spouse or me and my friend were having this conversation. There's no way the people in front of me or behind me are listening. And let's be honest, I'm always listening. It's super fun because you can find out a lot about someone without even asking or having a conversation. And you don't have to do this just on a plane. You can do this at a restaurant, wherever it is. You can find out a lot about, now you guys like, okay, this guy's weird. I'm never coming back to this church again. I'm just being honest with you for a second, okay? Because what we say says a lot about this, us. And it doesn't take a whole lot of time to maybe figure out, is someone happy with their life or not? Perhaps someone is, is disgruntled in their job and you can pick that up from a phone call. Maybe they're on their way to a vacation. You can find out about their family just by listening to other people. You can find out quite a bit about them. That's because our words say a lot about us. This is what James says in James chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1 this morning. He says this. So he says, not many of you should become teachers. And when he says teachers, he's not talking about like second grade teachers. He's talking about teachers of the Bible, preaching pastors, if you will. My fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. He's being a little sarcastic there in verse 2. Now, personally for me, I read verse 1 of chapter 3, and for myself, this is a very scary verse. Because let me give you the, essentially the summation of it. As there will come a time, there will become a moment in which every single one of us will stand before a holy, good, righteous, almighty, sovereign creator of the universe. We will all stand before God. And in that moment, as I stand before God and you stand before God, one of us will be judged more strictly based on this life. And it'll be me because of, well, this. Because of my words, because of the sermons I give, because of the words I teach. And here's why. 
is because what is said up here on this stage behind this pulpit, or what is said on the stage in Urbana, or any teacher, any pastor for that matter, anyone who teaches the word of God will be held more strictly and judged more harshly because what we say has influence over our people, has influence over the sheep that we are called to be a co-shepherd with Jesus Christ with. That is why it is important to not really just say, hey, that sounds fun, I want to give that a shot, because we We have influence over your walk with Jesus. And that's why we always strive to give you both the truth in love and with grace. Now that means also at the same time too, we can't just go to the parts that are nice and fun that everyone enjoys so we can just high five each other and go about our day. That means sometimes we need to talk about the harder truths, the more difficult truths, the the, the complicated truths. Now, this doesn't excuse your uh, job to also be in the word of God, to know and to discern. But at some point, I will stand more judged because what I say, perhaps on a weekly basis, has greater influence than perhaps I would even give it credit. Now, did you know, though, that the, uh, the average presidential speech writer okay, makes $200,000 a year? Think about that. $200,000 to write a bunch of words. Oftentimes, they're very ambiguous so that you can't really try to poke holes in it. But you don't even have to give the words. You just write it and you have to give it to someone else. And if the words are bad or they're poorly put together, well, it's not on you. It's like, man, that sounds kind of great. There's zero accountability. You make a bunch of money. What a job to have. And James is kind of being doing the opposite. He's like, think twice before talking. Think twice before thinking being a teacher of God's word is something that you want to pursue. It's because teaching God's word isn't just something anyone can say, hey, I want to do that. It's a spiritual gift given to you by the Holy Spirit. At the same time, too, it is a calling that cannot be taken lightly, nor can it be taken flippantly. And that's why, let me just say this, is that that is my commitment to this church, That is a commitment to you guys as congregants and members and people of this body that it is not a calling that I will ever take lightly or flippantly. I take the call to preach the gospel seriously, week after week after week. But in verse 2, James kind of then switches from the, the, the preachers to everyone else in which he says, so how many of you can claim to be perfect with all your words? And everyone's like, no one, doy, that's dumb. No one can actually do that. You ever spend any time with a five-year-old, right? It's kind of all that situation here. And, and James says then the goal is to keep the whole body in check. And he's drawing on a simple of two illustrations. That by the tongue, those of us who teach the word of God keep the body of Christ hopefully in check. And likewise, he's setting up this idea that your and I individual ability to control our tongues helps us keep the rest of our body in check. Physically, spiritually, perhaps even emotionally as well. He's setting up this idea that our words matter a lot. This is what he says, uh, continuing on verses 7 and eight. He says, so all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poisons. Think about for a moment the power of words. Let me say a couple phrases here and they probably might resonate or, or, or hearken back to something that you've heard before. A simple phrase, I have a dream, represents something, does it not? 
Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Words have power. Arguably, uh, you could say that the most important speech ever given on U.S. soil is the Gettysburg Address, given by Abraham Lincoln. It was given on November 19, 1863. And the Gettysburg Address marks a strong step in the right direction for fair treatment of all people, regardless of the color of their skin. And here's the interesting thing. I mean, you have a picture of it here. That is it. That's the entire Gettysburg Address. 275 words. He was on, he was off. By this point, I probably said like 3,000 words because I talk so much, right? Words have power. 275 words given, I don't know, 150 years ago, but its power still rings true today. Wise words, carefully chosen words have power. Words that are spoken in 10 seconds have the ability to be remembered 10 years down the road. And sometimes we we try to minimize the power of words, don't we? We say things like, well, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, (laughs) but words, they can never hurt me. And then like five minutes later, someone says something mean to you, and you're like, hi, mom, they said a mean word to me. Why does it hurt so bad? Well, I know I said it, but I didn't really mean it. You ever used that one before? In preparation for this message, uh, uh, one of our teaching team members found this quote that said, be sure to taste your words before you spit them out. Words have power. And James, what he does in chapter 3 is he draws uh, on this idea that the the tongue is small but is mighty. He says, think about the way that a war horse is drawn around around battle with a small uh, bit in its mouth. Think about how a large ship could be steered by a small rudder at the back of the boat. Or think about how you can spark an entire wildfire by one little flame, a.k.a. the tongue is small but mighty. It got me thinking about what else is small and mighty about the tongue, and it's your taste buds, right? You taste, but you can't really see them. You have about a couple thousand of them, but they kind of help you out in life. Mm, this tastes good. This is a little sour. This is sweet. This might be poison. Let's never eat that again. And you kind of go on and on and on. If you ever wanted to uh, put your taste buds to work, let me tell you about a job opportunity you might want to apply for. Uh, McCormick's is, is a spice company. Most of you, if you were to go to your kitchen cabinet, you probably have some type of McCormick spices around. Maybe it's uh, paprika, maybe it's their infamous taco seasoning. And here's what this job is. is McCormick's is hiring, get this, a director of taco relations. You heard that right. Let me explain to you the job description here. It says applicants will be expected to work up to 20 hours a week for up to four months, including attending virtual meetings and occasionally traveling to both McCormick headquarters and to other taco locations in the U.S. Responsibilities include things like keeping tabs on taco trends by scouring social media and talking with chefs, developing content for McCormick's social channels, and consulting on inspirational and approachable taco recipes, incorporating McCormick's taco seasoning by working with the McCormick Kitchens team. Here's the last line. It says, McCormick's director of taco relations will ultimately honor and support the millions of Americans that rely on our taco seasoning every day. 
while keeping the McCormick at the front of the tacos of tomorrow. As you can say, it's been really fun being your pastor the last five years or so. I feel like I found a new calling, you know, my spiritual gifts, they just, they're just kind of in line here. I just feel led to apply here in this moment. You see, whether it's the power of a spark to lead to a wildfire, your taste buds, or the tongue itself, the power of the tongue is not lost on us. It's because of this, is that our words weigh a ton. We try to teach this to our kids. We internalize this when we build our relationships with friends, spouses, people we're dating. Our words, they weigh a lot. The psalmist in Psalm 140 verse 3 says, They make their tongues as sharp as serpents. The poison of vipers is on their lips. And we know this to be true. You ever given a harsh answer to a gentle question? You ever been a little frustrated, a little agitated, and you kind of snap and say a few things that you didn't really mean in the moment, but they still came out? Or exact opposite side, you ever come across a friend, a coworker who's having a rough day, and you just notice their haircut? Or you just let them know you're praying for them? You just invite them to eat lunch with you, and their whole day and their whole demeanor just shifts and gets uplifted. Why? It's because our words way a lot. See, I was thinking about this. It made me think that our words, oh, this is heavy. This is a bad idea. Uh, our words are kind of like a cinder block. This is really heavy, guys. You should be noticing how easily I'm holding this right now. When you think about your words, it's like a cinder block that you can kind of choose to do something with. If you wanted to, you could cause a lot of damage with this, right? You could throw it through someone's window. Something you didn't like, you could, oh, drop it on your foot. Sorry about that. There's a lot of damage that could be done with this because it's just heavy. It weighs a lot. At the same time, too, you know what else is used with cinder blocks? Foundations, strongholds, cornerstones. People build lives and homes upon these. Cinder blocks can be used as a foundation or a base for people to stand on. And they don't have to think or wonder, is it going to shake or fall? And in the same way, our words weigh a lot. Their mere weight leads us to the choice to either do damage, to tear down, or we can use them to lay a foundation to build something up. And that's why James, I think, is so specific. Tame the tongue. Think about the power and the weight of your words. Do you find your words building others up, laying a foundation as a Christian, a disciple, to say this is a life that I think is honoring to Jesus, or do your words have the tendency to tear things down, do a little bit more damage than even you would anticipate? Our words weigh a lot. James continues here in verse 9. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. With it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. It's simple, what James says is, is our tongue, your tongue, your words have a tendency to reveal the tug of war within you. That each and every one of us, we have this tug of war in our life, especially if we claim to be a follower of Jesus. 
There's the temptation to go with your flesh, to go with your sinful nature, to just say words, oh, I'm just going to let them have it. And the spirit-led words, the wise words, to be gentle, to be self-controlled, to let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The temptation, James says, is to choose between wise or unwise words. For out of the same mouth comes both praise and cursing. Think about all the unwise forms of speech we have. We can tell lies. We can gossip about people. We can slander. There's coarse joking, discouragement, boasting, prejudice, and on and on down the list. In every form of unwise speech, it is heavy and it can cause damage. That's why James says later in James chapter 4, verse 11, 12, he says, Therefore, do not slander, for there is only one law giver and one judge who is able to save you and destroy you. But for every form of unwise speech... There's an equally wise form of speech we're called to put into practice. Let me take one for example and talk about this here for a brief minute. Just think about the power of encouragement. One of our pastors on staff, his name is Garen, and he has this saying, I've heard him say it a few times, he said, man, I just feel like encouraging words are hard to come by, but harsh and critical ones are always in abundance. A few summers ago, I had the privilege to go down to an orphanage in Mexico with our high school students. Garen was leading the trip. And I think it was like the last night, Garen kind of rallied everyone together. And he said, all right, guys, it's time to to, to circle up. We're going to have an encouragement circle. To which I was like, I think I'm busy. I got to go do some things. There's some tacos I need to go eat. Like, I don't know. And then I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. Just this sounds weird, kind of cheesy, whatever. And so everyone sits in a circle, and me being the good leader I am, I sit there, and Garrett explains the rules. He said, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You just need to pick someone from around this circle, and you just need to encourage them with something you saw this week. Okay? It could be a few sentences. It could just be 30 seconds. It doesn't need to be anything overly long or verbose. Just kind of give them something to lift them up. And after like 10 minutes of these high school students kind of bouncing around, man, you did this and you were awesome and the way you served this person, like everyone was like in tears and they're hugging and they're crying and they're high-fiving. It had so much power. Everyone just felt lighter and uplifted from like 10 minutes worth of encouraging words. I think that's what James is trying to say is there is a tug of war always within your heart and within your soul. And one set of words can do harm. It could lead to wars. It could lead to tension, strife, conflict. Whereas the other words can soothe. If there's callousness within someone's life, it can be just a little dab of lotion to help them feel relief. So the tongue shows us that words can wage wars and they can soothe souls. Did you know that? Your words can wage wars, but they can also soothe souls. Big wars, world wars, have been started over the exchange of words. Small wars, wars of the home, wars of relationship, very personal wars, if you will, have been started because of words that came out in a moment that erupted from within us. But words can also soothe souls. They can give hope. They can give peace. They can give encouragement. They have the ability to help someone through another day. They can provide power. 
The question is, for each and every one of us, do our words, do my words, tend to wage war or soothe souls more often than not? Which side of that tug of war do I find myself coming out on? Because when it comes down to it, though, let's be honest, the tongue can be very difficult to control, can it not? And I say that not to be like, come on, guys, get your tongues together here. I say that as someone who, as I reflect on my life, and I look at perhaps my biggest blunders as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a pastor, as a coworker, more often than not, those biggest blunders are tied because I said something that I wish I could have said it differently. I wish I could go back in time and change what I said. Our words are powerful. James says this in verses 13 through 18, talking about the kinds of wisdom that arrive from our words. He said, so who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. If you harbor bitterness or bitter and envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness." Every single week we've been saying this idea that that the book of James can be summed up in kind of one phrase, that our faith is only as legitimate as it's expressed. And here James is saying there is a connection between your words and your deeds, that there is a connection between what you do and what you say in living a wise life. That's because your words matter as much as your deeds. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he who has all of the right things but has not love, and dare I say, speak words of love, is but a resounding gong. That the Christian who says, I've done all the right deeds, I've checked all the boxes, I've gone on my way, but the, the heart of Christ has not transformed, not just our heart, but our tongue as well, has a lot of work let to be done. See, last week we talked about this call that faith in Jesus should lead to action. And James is continuing on that idea. It should not just change your heart. It should not just change what you do with your hands. It should also change your words. That faith in Jesus, submission to him, means we submit all that we are. And perhaps for each and every one of us, it means a little bit more of him getting control of our tongue. Don't those final words, descriptors in verse kind of 17, 18 sound like the type of people God is calling us to be? Be pure, be peace-loving, be considerate. Like I was thinking about, like, man, what, what would it look like that, that Christians or, or just those of us here at First Christian, that for every one negative word or harsh word or critical word that came out of our mouth, there was 10 words that were pure, Ten words that were peaceful. Ten words that were, that were sincere, considerate, impartial, full of mercy. Like what would it look like if we just strove to say, I am going to seek to soothe souls more than wage wars with my words. 
Because this is what I believe James is saying, is that sometimes submission to God is not best tested in your actions or in your wallet, although those are true, but sometimes submission to God is best tested by what you say. In some ways, James is saying your tongue has power. That if you can tame the tongue, everything else perhaps has a little bit easier chance to be submitted to God. The tongue, no one has tamed it, James says, but if we submit it to God, God transform my heart so that it may transform my tongue, it can perhaps lead to other forms of submission as well. That if you can control your words, perhaps that porn addiction, that lack of contentment, that resistance to exercise the spiritual disciplines of perhaps generosity, scripture engagement, prayer, that unwillingness to forgive, that harboring of bitterness, I believe James is saying is like also consider the tongue. And if you can rein in your tongue, it is small but it is mighty. It has power in the way in which your body will go. That if you can begin to tame the tongue, everything else should be able to go along with it. So how do we tame the tongue? It's simple. Just like everything else in life, we submit it to God. Let me close this morning's message just by reading James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. This is how we begin to surrender, not just our tongues, but all that we are to God. James says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts when you're double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. He's saying, take your sin seriously. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. But humble yourselves before the God. And he will lift you. Would you stand with us as we continue to worship this morning and as we choose to let our words, our tongues, sing praises and not curses this morning?